Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to the next edition of the ISE podcast. Um, I'm joined today by ISE board member Vanessa Soames and ISE fellow Bob Atwell. The subject of today's podcast is really how to um, manage in a crisis. We're in very uncertain times. Um, I'm sure we're all facing sort of quite difficult situations. And of course, it's also very important that we stay safe. So we thought it'd be a useful podcast to do really to talk a little bit about actually how employers can deal with the difficulties they're going to face in a, in, in a situation like this, but also actually do a bit of referring back to um, to the previous financial crash and recessions before and how employers have, have tackled what to do with their, their early talent schemes. So let's do some introductions first of all. Uh, my name is Steve Tibishwood. I'm Chief Exec of the ISE. Um, Vanessa, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks Stephen. I'm Vanessa Soames. Um, I am a board member, as Stephen has said, of the ISE and have been for three years. Um, I've had a variety of roles in my career. So I've headed up graduate recruitment at KPMG and I was head of uh, recruitment marketing there, where I'm very much understanding about attraction and selection um, across all the different marketplaces. So I did a piece on the early careers, more apprenticeships and school leavers, as well as graduate recruitment. Um, I've also been a director of graduate recruitment at Police Now, very much then it started in its infancy and we created the brand and novel ways and did a bit of virtual reality in our recruitment processes there. Um, and then lastly, I've been director of graduate recruitment at Barclays, which is very much um, a global role. I've also in my career been a freelancer and, and freelance very much for different organizations across early careers, both on the supplier side and direct with clients. Thanks, Vanessa. And Bob, would you like to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, thanks, Steve. Um, hi, Bob Atwell. I, um, uh, like Vanessa, have worked in uh, many different organisations, uh, both as a as an employer. Uh, I've also been a supplier partner, and I've also worked in universities. So, um, headed up recruitment for London South East Enterprise Redscar, headed up graduate schemes uh, across Europe for RWEM Power. Um, worked at the University of Leicester, worked for graduatejobs.com, been a director of student experience as well as a director of careers. And currently I am the global lead for early careers at Skyscanner. Great, thanks both. I won't embarrass us all by saying how many years experience we've actually got on this podcast today, but but hopefully we'll be able to bring some of it to, to bear on, on the situation. Um, can I start just by talking about actually the immediate problem I think many employers will be facing is whether to continue recruiting or not, and what considerations should the business be, be taking into account? And this is where the sense I get it does feel very much like, like 2009, listening to what employers are, are grappling with at the moment. What's your perspective? on that Vanessa? So from my perspective obviously we can take some lessons from those previous times but these are really unprecedented times and we've never seen something on such a scale globally and um, affecting so quickly so I think my top tips would be first of all it's about communicate 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 you cannot communicate enough both um, with your stakeholders and most importantly of course your candidate pool and those that have had um, offers. And what I mean by that communication is it's about really having transparency and honesty, um, being positive, so make sure both to your teams, to your candidates and to your stakeholders that you're thinking through strategically um, and scenario planning all the different pieces that you want to be doing. 
and just also having quite a lot of empathy and being nice. So it, it's a really difficult position. Unfortunately, when we had the financial crash, obviously people were sort of a bit more forewarned and were expecting some comms from organisations, whereas now people are expecting comms, but they might be going through their own difficulties themselves. Um, people are not well. People have family members in hospital. They've got a lot of family that they're, they're worried about. And so it's really understanding that. So the next thing for me is when you're communicating, really start thinking about planning the scenario. So not going and having conversations with, with stakeholders without having thought through all the possibilities of, of what the scenarios are and having at least four or five scenarios. So the worst case scenario, what do we do if, if the stakeholder says they, they want to perhaps um, switch off recruitment, they want to perhaps look at how we stagger the entry times, how are you going to do that, what are the implications of every decision you're making and really trying to think about that and have your facts ready for when you're having that communication with the stakeholder. And the same thing when you're having that honest conversation with candidates, having thought through the scenarios of the questions that they might be coming back with so that you're in control and giving a consistent um, message. And then my next piece would be around the commerciality. You have to think commercially in these times, and that's what your stakeholders are expecting from you. So think about what is the cost element, what is the implication if you push back recruitment, push back start dates, how does that affect things in the long term, um, and make sure you're really planning it out, using data and explaining that data clearly to the people you're having these conversations with. Then it's about what do you do with the talent while they're on hold? How are you talent pooling? We've put in a lot of work to get that talent. And how do you communicate and explain to the talent when you might be able to be in contact with them again, what opportunities they might be able to do? Can we be more flexible about the roles they were coming in to do, thinking about people um, moving them around? So I think those would be my top tips and what I've taken when we've been through these sorts of thinking in the past you do have to start thinking a bit more creatively so in the past um, some of you may remember back in the financial crash uh, for example KPMG did something called flexible futures where um, people had a period of time off took some unpaid leave and then came back and worked in a different area so we moved people around more we asked candidates to be more open about where they'd moved to would they start later it's just thinking differently about how you might do your program than you have it originally. Great, thanks. Yes, and I was at EY at the time and remember we did some similar similar things as well. Um, Bob, what, do you, um, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I uh, totally agree with Vanessa. I think communication, communication, communication is absolutely critical as well as um, the commerciality point. And I think to break that down, all I would add is simply what the, what what your organizations are going to need is is data and really work through scenarios and the ability for you to be fluid with those scenarios so you know there is no one solution to this and and as Vanessa said this is unprecedented however markets are always uh, working in lows and highs the volatility whatever it may affect it the markets will have seen this type of activity perhaps not to the extent in the sharpness of it but the the, the curves that then follow in terms of recovery and, and and i think that only 
sort of hope to take out of this is this is a global situation and this is every industry and everyone's facing the same challenges and 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 also will have the ability to perhaps have the same opportunity so data is critical and i think what's really impressed me is that that if you take look at different sectors and industries and and, and i was listening to a radio four around the uh, restaurant leon and and how the owner of leon has responded and and what really struck me was his words around when he looks back despite what may happen to his business he wants to be comfortable that he did everything he could to help society and recovery etc and how they've kind of have pivoted their their stalls to be able to give her takeaways and 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 deliveries and, and and keep the supply chain of the sector going which is really important which perhaps people don't realize in terms of farming and everything else you know, things come from food, the food industry or the hospitality catering industry kind of has two tracks, one that serves restaurants and one that serves supermarkets. So it, it was really fascinating listening to him and, and the ability that, you know, we all have to think differently and creatively. And I think that, again, that's what sort of Vanessa just highlighted is that we, we do need to think differently. And I think um, we have seen um, terrible turns in the economy um, in the past. And we just got to learn those lessons around not making sure we panic by turning off our early careers pipeline of talent but just being really mindful around how we convince that this is the right thing to do because when that curve starts to improve then we need to be ready with for our employers with with the right people to enable our organization mission and it's interesting you both mentioned business leaders in your comments because again I, I remember this from, from my experiences you know you're dealing with people that have got a huge amount on their plates they're fighting fires all over the place it won't be just graduate talent apprentice schemes that'll be thinking about deploying staff you know in other areas of the business as well as all the other you know kind of business implications that arise from something like this have either of you got any tips on how you actually you know deal with those those business leaders and help them sort of get to the the, the right decisions that need to be made. I think it's again back back to what I've said and Bob said is that that's about coming back to the data and explaining the implications and of the decisions about to be made and looking holistically at the big picture. It's really important that as recruitment professionals, you still stay very strategically focused about what was the aim of the business. And now we're at the issue where it's about the cost to the business and what can the business do to manage their costs. In most cases, obviously each industry and everything is different and it's a global piece. So again, it's it's affecting how different parts of the business are affected at different timescales because this is happening globally. But I think it's explaining that what what are you going to do if you don't have that pipeline of talent come through? So what did happen in the financial crisis is people did reduce their graduate intake and their early careers intake. And then we had a whole issue with newly qualified three years later. Um, and then the premium paid in the market. So I think it's about showing the data. How could you move some of these people around? How could you um, push back the start dates? But also back to the creative thinking, because there's so much differences now that we've never seen before. So people are going to get their A-level results differently, their GCSE results differently. Again, back to Bob's point, this is globally. So it's again, it's the same thing in the States. They're having impact on their um their qualifications and when they're getting it, when people are getting their degree results. So it's thinking about when are you going to onboard, how are you even going to do the exam checking, all your processes that you normally had in place, they are all going to be turned up upside down. 
and therefore what's the best approach of how to deal with that. And I think also when you're dealing with the management, and this is really important, is trying to split your team. So who are the experts in the various areas that you need to broach to get that data and splitting your teams as such. And you'll, you'll find your management teams are doing the same thing. You've got the people who are dealing with this element of the crisis, and then there are other people. And it's joining up those dots and ensuring that recruitment is understanding that whole piece of what the business is working on so that you're strategically aware and making the right decisions and giving them the right data to do those decisions. This is why it comes back to the communicating and constantly talking about it. There's also changes in legislation. There's changes in how um, even apprenticeships and what they need to do now because people are aware that maybe we can't do things as we were doing. So it's, it's communicating and making sure you're up to speed about what's happening and communicating that to your business because they may not be aware of these implications. Got it. Bob, you're, you know, you're Skyscanner who you work for, their, you know, their um, technology platform, their technology business, but also very much linked to the travel industry, which we know is facing um, some, some real difficulties at, at the moment. Any thoughts you have on this, on this, this sort of influencing question? Yeah, I mean, you know, firstly, yeah, the travel industry is, is pretty much affected, you know, along with others that probably are up there in terms of rankings. But I think, you know, when I'm, where I'm lucky and I'm fortunate on, on a number of levels is that, you know, I've been amazed the way we have responded. You know, we have regular calls. We have calls with our exec. Uh, I'm also very lucky that the chief people officer, Ruth Charno, she is also someone who has led graduate recruitment and development programs in the past, particularly in the last recession. And so it's a little bit easier to have a conversation as long as I have the data, because as you say, the leaders have got different priorities and they are also, you know, facing unpredictable and unprecedented times and, and nerves and anxiousness from all kind of quarters, I suspect, not just staff, but across the sector and partners and business. So I think for me, just kind of building on Vanessa's point is really the first thing I would say is, look, we're not alone and you shouldn't feel alone. And, and one of the tips that I clearly remember is that along with some other senior leaders in, in the last downturn, at the time I was at Empower, um, and there was a colleague at Shell and we got together and, and we planned and we did some things along with others, you know, whether it was um, Enterprise Rentcar or whether it was um, Steph from Morgan Stanley and James when he was at Teach First. We, we did a series of things of collaboration, including what we call question time on a series of university campuses. And I guess my point is, if you want to influence your leaders, then you have to show personal leadership as well and also use your network. And this is where the ISC really comes into its own, is that as the, as the sort of professional association for our sector, it's really important that you leverage those relationships. I, in the last few days, I've seen some interesting notes, some really interesting notes that, to be honest, have been really positive, particularly in different parts of the world. And notably, I've seen a message that's come from IBM. I've seen a message that's gone from GE and I've seen a message that's gone from EY to their candidates around and their partner in terms of institutions to say, we are switching to virtual internships and we are going to do things differently and we're going to still give as solid experience as we can, despite everything that's going on and what you'd expect people to do. So I think Vanessa's point about, you know, there were some really interesting lessons learned after the last one. 
actually that message has landed and people are really genuinely saying, no, we're going to get through this and we're going to do this and we're going to make sure that we provide those opportunities because from when we come out the other side, we're going to be stronger for it. But I guess if you distill that, how do you get that type of information to your leaders to be able to help them make the right decisions for your early careers pipeline? And that is critical. So I would suggest just reach and lean upon colleagues in the sector. Even if you don't know, reach out to them and say, I'm thinking of doing this, I'm thinking of framing my my position this way, and here's the data and evidence that I think I want to use. What would you suggest? Are you missing anything? And I think that would really help win influence business leaders who, to be honest, need that kind of critical distillment from us because they have got so much to manage at this time. So I noticed in, in previous previous difficult times in recessions, you know, around the, the dot-com bubble that one or two employers did make some some difficult decisions that they had to do with their graduates, but actually the way those decisions played out was handled quite badly around offers being withdrawn, et cetera. And, and some of those graduate brands actually did suffer for a, for a couple of years after. So some of those decisions that would inevitably carry reputational risks. Um, do either have any tips on how employers could, could mitigate those risks? So, I think again it comes back down to the communicating and just ensuring that you're being really um, open and transparent with the candidates and communicate really thinking about what is in that communication and the form of that communication so what doesn't go down well with the student population and what also you need to think about is we're in a different era than we were when we've been through this before so people expect answers quickly they expect things on demand um, and they expect technology to be able to take the volume of calls for example or to get to get the email with the information that they need in it clearly so i think it's about employers really thinking about how they communicate and the information they have and the transparency they do with that. I think it's about also thinking long term about it. So thinking about these are your potential managers of the future, your customers of the future, and not making necessarily quick knee jerk communication reactions, but thinking it through and making sure that's clear in the marketplace about why uh, companies made the decision they have. Uh, coming back to Bob's point as well about he brought up the conversation about Leon, but there's so many of these pieces and earlier in the podcast I mentioned that about it's about being creative and thinking things through in a, in a different way. Um, so if you do have to make some difficult decisions, it's how can you use the talent pool for the future better? So if you can't offer the opportunity now after you've done all your analysis with your data, what can you do to offer that candidate the opportunity in the future? If you can't offer them necessarily the work experience, could you offer them some coaching? It's, it's just thinking about what added value you can give back, and I think that would really help um, the employer's reputation and of not of doing the right thing. I absolutely agree. I, I think you know reputation sometimes drives some decisions that just aren't sensible, um, and and that comes back to the commercial point that Vanessa was making earlier on. So you know one of the 
one of the things again um you know i um, alluded to our chief people officer roof she, she sent a message to all of us internally around you know the sentiment of the message was first and foremost just remember you're humans and we're people and look after yourselves was the kind of the factor that you know despite what's going on just remember we're humans and i think you know my, my kind of piece about the reputation is just remember you're dealing with people and let's not become robotic let's, let's as a sector really remember the fact that you know people hang on every word that you say particularly those that are early in their careers that are looking to you for guidance and steer and this is where it, we must kind of show sort of personal leadership and, and treat people like how we would want to be treated and I think you know students are anxious you know on a number of different levels and communication is critical to them and so the reputational risk is if if you choose to ignore that or if you choose not to be as open and as transparent as you can be without committing uncertainty so you can only kind of provide clarity in what you know and if you don't know what you don't know then just say you don't know and I don't think anyone's going to come back at you in any way shape or form but I think Vanessa's point about coaching is a really valid one so when when we um, from a personal perspective when we looked at this last week those that were currently in our pipeline for the remaining headcount, I personally called with my colleagues and we spoke to them about why the why we were no longer going to be able to kind of manage the pipeline in the way that we had. So there would be no attending face-to-face, um, etc. And with internships, we would have to look at those now going forward for those that were in the pipeline to say look we suspect we may need to pause this and actually help you get back into the pipeline at the same stage but probably next year but that's our intention at this moment in time we're not sure if that's how it's going to play out because say everything stops tomorrow and we're all back at work then great we'll be back in touch with you are you happy for us to continue in that way would you like us to stay in touch and the amount of thanks we got from the students that we spoke to um, were really, really phenomenal. They were like, we really understand, we really appreciate you calling, we really appreciate the fact that you haven't just sent us an email and actually can we ask you about our application advice so far? And so I've been doing calls with the candidates to say, yeah, yeah this is what this is what you did really well, this is what you need to think about um and actually here's some of the tips so far so not on what's to come but what they've done so far and and i think that's so important and i think that's the point that vanessa's making about creativity you just gotta be creative rethink how you're gonna do this be honest and open and transparent and remember we're human beings so agree with your point bob and i and i think it's about it's about the partnerships and i don't know if people have seen what sainsbury's are currently doing but obviously sainsbury's needs staff at the moment because they're inundated it's unprecedented the times they're in and they've posted literally a message out saying if you're letting your workforce go but you want to retain them you know why don't you do a deal with us and we would use them on a part-time basis so it's it's thinking about that and, and that there are examples of that even in the early career space 
is there other organisations that you could partner with or do a, a, a deal with? I mean, there's prime examples of this. I'm thinking the whole Transform group, Teach First, Unlocked, Police Now, Frontline, Think Ahead, um, who are in public services, who, you know, perhaps could do something where you, they join their programme for a couple of years and then come back to your programme when, when your situation changes. So there's just thinking around that on, and also getting candidates to think in a different way. Back to Bob's point, we're all human. We just need to be empathetic, really be nice and actually stay positive. That's what people want to see is that you're showing some sort of decision making and leadership and being honest, like even if you can't make the decision back to Bob's point um, to say we can't make the decision, but these are the things we're looking into. I also think that um, this generation are, are pretty resilient as well and they're full of innovative ideas. I mean, this is a different generation who actually are very entrepreneurial. And so is there a piece about actually going out to your talent pool and, and asking them to come up with ideas and suggestions and then actually starting that relationship that they are part of your workforce, even if they haven't started, they've got an offer with you, but they may have some ideas to contribute as well as the people on your early career programs. That's great. I also like the, the two of you both mentioned um, pick up the phone. Um, I think in this age of, age of electronic communication, something like the mistake of just broadcasting stuff via email. I know that um, when we had to make some difficult decisions with candidates and defer some offers, we made a point of picking up the phone as well as doing electronic communications as well. And, and like you both said, that, that went down you know, really well, actually. People are a lot more understanding, I think, than, than, than sometimes people assume they, they will be. The other thing I would say on reputation risk is, the, um, you know, people do have contacts. And if you do handle candidates badly, you will have some that might have contacts in the press. These stories do get into the papers. And, you know, I know from per first-hand experience, I've, I've seen that happen. So you do have to have a very sensible communication strategy with it. Yeah, no, I was going to say yeah, I, the point about making contact with phone, it's so important. Um, my my role's global. You know, last last week, you know, I was up really early hours because I was making calls in APAC. Um, and then I was making calls in different parts of the world and speaking to candidates. It wasn't just the, you know, the European centric kind of call candidates, etc. You know, I was making calls globally and it went down globally in the right way because basically people were just so appreciative Steve because most communication is very limited and very generic and very inhuman and I think it's really important that we we, we don't forget that. Yes agreed. Um, another thing you both mentioned is technology and doing some stuff around sort of um, using you know maybe different ways of doing things with candidates or, or moving some assessments possibly you know internship experience online and I think some employers have moved quite quickly with this. Have, have you seen any tools and techniques that, in, that people have been using? There's a lot of people are using a variety of and have been doing a lot online um, 
prior to this crisis. And I think what they're doing is, is using those tools and then perhaps taking them a bit further. So changing their assessment centers. So perhaps it, instead of bringing everyone together, they can, they can do it online, whether it's, it's a final video interview and working in that way. But I do want to say there are a lot of organizations that prior to this already had moved so significantly away from the face-to-face. -face. It's not as perhaps new as, as some people think. And the other thing I think that a lot of people are looking into is, is the piece around the spring programs and the work experience programs, which is the here and now, which a lot of people are making their decisions on quickly rather than the um, graduates and the apprenticeship starts, because obviously that date was a bit further away. And a lot of people for that, again, have moved online to say, if we can't run it in the way that we were going to do, um, what can we do on, on a platform? So people have partnered with things like Inside Sherpa. There's various different tools that people have on their post offer portals that they've set up that they can do that. That's the sort of thing that people are doing. And it's just a different approach, but it's not as difficult for perhaps the candidates as people might think, because again, it's a generation that are quite used to doing a lot online. I mean, we've got evidence of this now. A lot of the schools are going to do their teaching like that. And you would be surprised how quickly the students have just gone into that methodology and, and are used to working in that way. Be interesting what sticks as well, you know, when we do get back to business as usual, how much of a of a long-term shift we get in some behaviours. What about yourself, Bob? Have you seen any of that stuff moving online? I think, I think Vanessa's right. Again, you know, we, we, we this isn't new territory for, for some of us. And, you know, it's just about how we've taken that blended approach. Um, so we, we use a platform. There are so many out there, but we use Zoom and we, we are a global business that, you know, have colleagues all around the world. And so we, we're, we're quite used to using technology and then kind of having sort of virtual rooms and, and various other things and, and, and doing retrospectives using various technical tools. And, and, and so those tools are now just being pushed a little bit further to, so if I take, we are um, part of the undergraduate of the year competition this year, sponsoring the, the computer science category. Um, so we still had a discovery day left to get to the, the sort of final 10 candidates, if anyone knows that competition. So we are moving online. We are going to run our discovery day totally in terms of virtually. Um, and we've been trialing, you know, how that would actually work and how we would use the technology that we have to do the group exercise, to do the the, the other components. And, and actually, how do we still kind of create that that sort of personal touch as best as we can, it all being virtual. And, and I think that the real trick here is, and this is where, again, it comes back to leadership, and it's really important that if you want to maintain your programs and you want to show its impact and the commerciality, don't just think short term. Long term, how can you take this lesson and this learning and implement it in your process? But just remember, there is a human component that is required at some stage of the candidate journey. So don't totally go that way. I think it's part of the mix, but actually this comes back to the point I think Vanessa made earlier on about reimagining and re-engineering actually how we do it. And, and that's the point that I was making earlier on. I think this is a reset. This is a reset that really gives us the ability as an industry to say, okay, 
how do we stop what I think for many years has been a bit of a circus approach and actually how do we reset and say going forward this is the way to do it so I love the point around the transform society piece around how they could pull together and work together and I, I really think that's a fantastic opportunity for James Darley and colleagues to do that and I think more of that is what's going to be required but from a digital perspective just just my fear though is just please don't lose that human touch. Do you think any employers will take people all the way through to offer because I can see how interviews happen online there's lots of assessment tools online I have heard of some organization doing sort of simulated group exercise online but I wonder if employers will actually yes we'll, we will make the offer based on all these all these interactions. There are employers already um, doing that, Stephen, and it, and it's back to thinking it through really strategically, back to Bob's point that you can do it and still add that personal element. It's about how you set it up. If you set up your tools correctly, so for example, when you're bringing a candidate through, it's also it's a two-way process and people really have to keep remembering that. We are selling to the candidate as much as the, set, the candidate is buying the job from us. So what do you have up front? and you're selling videos, you can then also personalize that. So if you have a recruiter that recruits for your specific area and a specific person, tell them who that recruiter is. That recruiter should be on the video up front who can talk them through. Have candidates supporting them. So candidates who've been through the process, sending people good luck messages or explaining to them how they found that part of the process. I've done that a lot of times I did that specifically a lot in um, police now, which was an, uh, an environment where people don't really know what it's like to work in policing and how do you bring that to life? So we had videos from people who've been through the process that do that. We then had mentors for them so they could speak to police officers again all the way through the process. They could be coached by someone who's either been through it or who hasn't been through it, who would be their manager. So they would know what that feels like while they're doing that piece online. And then the last piece, we did have an assessment center, but you could move pieces of that again online and then at the end they get the offer and it should be the same recruiter that they saw up front and that person who phones them they've already know what they look like because they've seen them on a video you can do coaching for people and group coaching we have done that online I think it is it is possible as we move as Bob says to a global world it also helps they can also meet their other um, people on their um, cohort that there's so many tools, there's various onboarding platforms that do that, where you can have shared collaboration and people can meet one another. It is a reset that Bob says, it's going to be a different way of doing it. It's just about when you strategically set it up, that you're still thinking about the personalization and that allows that candidate to speak to someone if they so wish in the process. They might not get to meet them face to face, but at least they can contact them. One of the things that happened in the financial crash was that students a lot of students assume that now there's it, it, no saying it wasn't a difficult period and that, and that vacancies did increase. But there was a sense that students also just thought employers had totally stopped recruiting. Whereas when I look back at um, the AGR as was data from that period, there were still employers with unfilled vacancies. I get the sense that there's a danger that, that students out in the marketplace assume the worst, assume employers are all shutting down and just don't even apply for the jobs that are, that are out there. Have you got any advice that you would give to students around, you know, how they deal with a situation like this, what they can do around developing their employability skills, you know, or definitely having that kind of, that still making those career decisions. I think it's really important. And, and Vanessa and I, we've been chatting to separately to Jane Cullen, who's a consultant at 107 Communications. 
and, and she very kindly gave us some insights that they've been running focus groups with finalists and how they're feeling and kind of doing a bit of a temperature check. And it won't surprise you, and I'm sure Vanessa would be able to add to this as well, but they, they are confused, they're scared, they, they are pragmatic. I'm trying to kind of be careful with my words, but I'm slightly schizophrenic about university career services, if I'm honest. Um, and that's because I really do like and enjoy working with those colleagues, and some of them are the best in the business, whereas some just haven't quite moved with the times. And what I mean by there is, is that students deserve better and, and they deserve for our full attention. So there is a reset that is required in career services around being helpful to prepare students for life, not just to meet an employability stat. And for many years, lots of universities, not necessarily career services, but they were the, the custodians of this, were playing around with numbers. And that actually isn't helping the student. And so the student, if ever they needed help right now around coaching and employability and knowing what that looks like and how to reinvent their skills and how to hone those skills into strengths and how to keep applying that knowledge and experience and do it in a cycle that where every time they have to sort of pivot and change direction in their career, because they will have to, it's really important that the universities lay that foundation. So, you know, working in partnership with employers really really tackling the issue of them understanding themselves first and foremost the, the student knowing how and what they enjoy and how they could apply that in different industries and do different make different contributions in the labor market and continually know how to reapply that is really critical my worry is there's too many universities that are working with organizations that are really just trying to help them at ace assessment centers in, in, in almost parrot fashion teaching them what they need to do to get through employer processes. So I think my, my advice is, you know, this is a, another brilliant opportunity for us to collaborate with universities and try and reset that agenda and really make sure that the student is at the heart of that thinking and at the heart of that process in order to help them really navigate what is gonna be quite a complex labor market globally. And they are going to be required to be part of the labour market. So what we need to understand is help them find their place. And we'll only do that if we do it together uh, and not try to fudge some arbitrary number. And, and that would be my, my sort of plea. It would be, please do that. And again, I have no axe to grind here and it's not a political statement. It's the fact that, you know, having worked on all sides of it, I'm looking at it from all angles and I just feel that students need to do it. And, and there are some brilliant practices happening. So I don't want to say that all career services aren't doing it because globally there are some amazing universities that are doing some amazing work and I'm not just looking at it from a UK perspective so you know there's some brilliant things happening in the, in Asia there's some brilliant things happening in North America and there's particularly some amazing stuff happening in the Middle East and Africa it really is. Anything you'd add from the student perspective Vanessa about how they, yeah. how they should be approaching this situation? Yeah I think my advice to students is, is first of all just be so much more open-minded stop closing off and thinking that was the career you wanted to go for and that's what you need to be doing because times are changing and we have to be adaptable I, I think the next piece I would say is every single recruitment process it doesn't matter what you're looking for in early careers is looking for people who are resilient and adaptable so it's about getting yourself in that 
framework because you'll need those skills whatever you apply for. And then being more creative and open-minded about what you want to do. And stop necessarily looking at careers as a linear thing. It's very zigzag now. So maybe you're not going to do that thing that you thought you were going to do, but this is an opportunity to do something else. And then in a couple of years' time, you might go and do another piece. And I would really also open your mind and research industries about where is the future workforce needed. So starting to think about, you know, perhaps you've never thought about coding, but, you know, look at now how much is going online. I think we're going to culturally change. Everyone's so got used to now working from home, different things. I mean, just if you look at the moment, for example, we've even mentioned Zoom. If you look at the moment, how many job opportunities there are with Zoom, they're really ramping up. So it's thinking like, do I need to do a skill? Could I do a coding course? Should I open my mind to going that way? In the industry as well, there aren't that many people doing STEM and tech pieces. And so a lot of organizations were bringing people in and training them to do those things. So be more open-minded about, again, which organizations you might apply for and do some of the things. And I really hope that this whole piece, we've seen so much acts of kindness and people pulling together and thinking in a different way. And, and for that, I want to say, and also we know all the stuff about your this generation is much more public service orientated. This is an opportunity to think maybe about go and do something in the public sector where maybe you haven't thought about that before because they don't really need the help now. I agree. I think we as CIC would reiterate that to, to students is, yes, have that flexible mindset, you know, don't close your mind and don't assume that everything is shutting down and stopping. Different industries respond differently and there, there, are, there are loads of opportunities that, that will be out there. That's why it's so important because what you both have just articulated, there are the real practical skills of that resilience, that flexibility, that the ability to be agile and curious is so critical no matter where you go in the labour market, no matter where you go globally. But that's why it's so important for the kind of leaders within industry and, and also in higher education and our partner organisations that work together to help them navigate that and understand that. And that's the point I was making earlier on, is that now is not the time to look at an arbitrary measure within universities. It's really about helping those students really understand to navigate this and to pivot continually. That zigzag point that Vanessa has made is critical. So help them help them learn, help them simulate. And of course, the public sector are, are absolutely at the heart of a number of things for this generation about civic responsibility, but also the role they're playing in this current crisis. I'm also just thinking about the actual the individuals in our industry. These are difficult times. There's a lot of pressure that will go on to graduate recruiters, people working in universities, our suppliers, you know, large organisations, small organisations. Is there any advice either we give actually to our to those members that are having to deal with all these situations we're talking about is how they can personally deal with this coronavirus crisis? I think, again, it, it's about be kind to yourself, have empathy, be nice. Bob said it earlier, you know, treat people like you would want to be treated. Everyone is only human. 
this is really, really difficult times. Although you have to make decisions and, and move quickly, you know, sometimes just taking a breath and just thinking, actually, what, what is the impact and what is the right thing to do here? And trying as much as you can. It's very difficult because we, we don't know, but trying to look at the bigger picture and what the impact of that decision is going to be and put yourself in other people's shoes. How are they going to take that? And, and what are the consequences and the knock-on effects of those things? It's about not necessarily thinking about your little part, but where are your stakeholders in their thinking? What are they thinking for your industry? And trying to bring that into your recommendations and dealing with this. But I do think as graduate recruiters or early careers recruiters, we have a responsibility to this generation. I mean, it is incredibly difficult. And that's why I think taking the time to do a bit of scenario planning, there's going to be so many implications for so many people in, in their workload. And I'm thinking about just the whole piece now around the exam. So now how do we do the onboarding and do the check? If your processes had to work in certain ways, they might not be able to work in those ways anymore because of the onboarding will have to change. It's thinking more pragmatically. Can you split your teams? People can't work to this level and it's difficult and they're at home. So do you split your teams and think, right, these, this set of people deal with this part, this set of people deal with another part. The other thing about the homeworking is people are doing some very, very long hours. And back to Bob's point, a lot of people are in global roles. Everything's on fire at the moment. So it's really thinking about looking after yourself and making the right decisions, not if you're not feeling well yourself, making some mistakes. Bob, anything yeah. you'd add? I think you've got a massive role to play as the ISC. You know, I'd encourage you to do virtual sessions. How do you create, you know, an impact case for your business? You could probably run sessions for members to kind of join online and someone walking through that some of the handy tips that you could do. So I think there's some really practical ways that we could help and help our colleagues to navigate this. But I also think that more importantly, the colleagues need to look after themselves as well and just kind of try to create the right environment. And without, if you're not used to working from home and you, you kind of crave that interaction socially, then there's probably some practical tips that we could do. There's probably some collaboration that we could do with other people. So whether it's, you know, some sort of 10 minutes of mindfulness that we might want to do on a call that is optional for colleagues to look after themselves. I think that kind of stuff's important. And it's really important that we kind of provide those opportunities. And that's where I think the ISC is the lead organization, really, because it is a member-led organization. It's, it's their organization. It's our organization. Agreed. I think that's something that we are working quite hard to set up as well. It's got some forums up already and it's looking at ways to move some of the stuff that we did face-to-face, -face, sector forums. So that would definitely be coming coming on stream. Yeah. I think the one thing I would add is that this will, you know, this crisis will end. It's a piece of advice that was given to me um, quite a long time ago. And so, you know, when you're in the eye of the storm, you can sometimes forget that actually, you know, this will be something in the future that you will look back on. You know, these things do get resolved. So, I think having that sense of perspective and also I think like you both have alluded to is things will shift because of this so you know you might have spent 99% of your time dealing with very much the here and now but do have a little bit of a thought to actually how things might change and how you need to sort of plan for six months 12 months 18 months months down the line just want to add I think that the last thing is people really start need to be mindful as of next week when when children are off school and every, everyone's at home it really like managers and leaders need to start giving some pragmatic 
proper tips about how, how actually are you going to manage working if you have young, young children in the house. So it's again, do we start thinking about our teams and, you know, being more open-minded about sort of um, shift systems? So like I'm saying to you about you split your teams in parts, you know, have that open conversation with your colleagues about w what times can you actually work and how can that, how could you do that and work that within your family? It's okay if people have older children, but it's, it's very difficult without the childcare when you have younger children in the house. And just to be mindful, because I know that a lot of colleagues are under a lot of pressure and really worrying about how they're going to manage their roles next week. It's definitely not going to get easier for a while. Is it? And of course, we'll also be aiming to bring you all the latest news as it happens and industry responses. So we talked about, you know, exams being suspended or cancelled and what that means. So I think it's going to be a whole bunch of things we're going to have to adapt to. That's been a great conversation, um, Vanessa and Bob. Thank you very much. You've given some really good, good insights into those. Um, if anybody's got any questions they'd like to follow up, please get in touch with us at the ISE team. Um, and we very much hope to be bringing you more podcasts like this. Vanessa and Bob, thank you very much. And everybody else, please take care of yourselves. Speak to you all soon. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Much. So safe. Thank you. Bye.